Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Across the Tracks podcast on Sunday, June the 14th. It's actually Flag Day today. Flag Day, absolutely. It's yes, flag sir. Today. One, of, one of our classmates' birthdays today, too, oh. our, I remember. And who who is that? Who is last, that? Last name is Lothary. Oh, uh, Vivian. Vivian, yeah. Her hey. Happy birthday to Vivian goes out Yeah, happy today. birthday to Vivian. Yeah, one of our classmates, the class of 1975. 75, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, this is Across the Tracks, and uh, as usual, I haven't changed. I'm Wayne. And I'm Steve. All right. How are you, my brother, this week? Oh, doing great. Doing great. How about yourself, man? Hey, same here, man. Still, uh... Still a little bit quarantine, uh, quasi-quarantine, I guess. Not as bad as it has been. Things are starting to get back to life here a little bit. But like I said last week, I'm out, when we're off the air, I'm in no hurry to rush back out there. So, uh, <laughs> when I do go out, I wear my mask and uh, keep my social distance, do what I got to do, and I bring my ass back home. So. Yep. <laughs> yep, I know. Well, we're the same way. I'm tired of uh, hanging around the house, but the, the alternative is not as good. So, therefore, uh, Lynn and I just kind of hang out a little bit, and we just kind of go from there, man. That's right, man. You're yes, not going to get yes, me to, to, to sign a waiver. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to get me to sign a waiver. Like, you know, if you go out here and hang out now, you might die, but, you know, no. Nah, I'm not, not signing fault. no waiver. <laughs> Uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> All right. All right. What do we got going on this evening, All my right. friend? So for this episode of the podcast, uh, since it is June, it's uh, being designated Black Music Month. We want to start off with a couple of music uh, pieces. And the first piece we want to talk about, we had a uh, voice uh, of R&B passed away this past week, uh, Bonnie Porner, one of the founding members of the Porner Sisters. Uh, passed away last week. And uh, the Porter sisters, um, if if you followed their career, uh, they started out in R&B. Uh, I remember a big hit they had back in the day, Yes We Can Can. It was an uplifting, uh, positive uh, song that they uh, put out, came out in the 70s. And uh, the group changed a bit. Uh, a couple of members left, uh, had some solo careers in there. And then their career took off in what I say probably was more the pop realm where uh, they, you know, they, their career just exploded. Um, they had the Neutron dance. Um, mm-hmm. He's so shy, slow hand. And then they had a cameo appearance in Car Wash. Car Wash, yes. Yeah, they were the uh, the sisters, the religious group. Uh, what was their name? Uh, they, they were with uh, they were Daddy Rich, played by Richard Pryor. Yes. Uh, yes. What were their names? What were uh, their names? Gosh, I can't. I can I see can't. it right in front of my face. The sisters they 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 portrayed a religious group that was supporting Daddy Rich, uh, yes. played by Richard Pryor. But they had a cameo in Car Wash, and then Bonnie Porter had a huge hit uh, when the disco era. She did a remake of uh, Heaven Must Have Sent You. Uh, which was originally done by a group called the Elgins uh, back in the day. And so we want to recognize uh, Bonnie Porter as a you know founding member of a, of a great uh, female group. Uh, the group's still going on. You, there's uh, you know one of the, the, one of the other sisters passed away, I think a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Another one passed away a couple of years ago, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, rest rest in peace, rest in power, uh, Miss Bonnie Porter. 
Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, the Cornishers. So we have to think about that name, who they were in the um, ah car wash. The Wilson sisters. The Wilson sisters. <laughs> the okay. Wilson sisters. Some of the finest women you ever wore. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, don't know nothing about them. Yeah, that was the Wilson sisters. <laughs> Oh, I can yeah, see them getting out, of that, getting out of that stretch limo. Driving that stretch limo, man. <laughs> Richard Pryor coming out of there with a cane. Yeah. Daddy Rich. Get <laughs> it. <laughs> now, now you got me on car wash, man. I might have to go pull it out of your house to watch car wash tonight. There you go. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's a good so, one. So the other music piece, and, I, and I'll let you take this one, uh, is Black Music Month. Uh, we want to – we. we Sort of elaborated on it a little bit last week at the end of the broadcast, but I'll let you take this one. And it has to do with uh, probably one of the most uh, monumental albums ever recorded uh, back in 1971, uh, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. And so I'll let you take it from there, my friend. Yeah, that's this uh, one of the greatest albums, R&B albums that's out there, you know, Motown. I uh, think the Funk Brothers were were, were uh, producing it, and the lyrics were uh, so profound in 1971 with all the chaos that was going on in the country and around the world. We had the Vietnam War going on. We had Tricky Dicky in the White House. Uh, we had just protests throughout uh, the country and throughout throughout the world and we had the civil rights movement going on we had uh women's liberation movement going on we had gloria steinem phyllis schlafly uh we had everything that was going on at that time in this country it was it wasn't chaos but it was a lot of things a lot of moving parts and i used to teach history and i used to tell my students and said Growing up in the 60s and the 70s, going through that, everything was going on. And you can't imagine all the things that was taking place all at the same time. We had this big uh, emergence of all these factors going on. And they missed out on all that because at at that time, you know, everything was kind of bland, vanilla and stuff like that. So nothing was really going on. You know, we hadn't didn't have any major wars going on and stuff in the in the uh, late 80s and so on, early 90s. So things were kind of calm. But at this time point, at that time period, I mean, uh, Marvin Gaye uh, was singing about events. And this was also the very first time that many artists, black artists, for the first time started looking at uh, the situation going on in the country and began to speak on it. So R&B changed its flavor from more of a, you know, I, I, a lively, you know, love song type things into getting into a lot of political things. You know, 1970, The Temptations came out with uh, Ball of Confusion. Uh, also, you had Edwin Starr that came out with the song about war. And so there's a theme that was a, uh, a genre that developed because of all the chaos kind of going on in the country. However, I think the biggest thing is that I would like to take and look at the lyrics from Marvin Gaye's What's Going On in 1971 and compare it to the United States 
in the world what's going on in 2020. And so if you would humor me, let's uh, let's kind of look at this. Uh, look at the there's three stanzas, basically. And then there's a course and see if it's relevant today. And maybe some of our, you know, listening artists can see that if they've never even heard the song Marvin Gaye that, that produced called uh, What's Going On. OK, I can we do that? my brother? I can do that. Let's do yeah, it. I, Tell you what, I'll do the first stanza, and then let's let you do the 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 second one, and let's let's we're gonna talk to it. I would love to play it, but we don't have that capability to do that as of right now. All right, so I'll start this, and the first stanza is "Mother, Mother, there's too many of you crying. Brother, 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 there's far too many of of you dying." You know we've got to find a way to bring some love in here today. That's the first stanza. Okay, so in relating to that, there's been a lot of mothers crying today. Absolutely. I mean, just think of what's going on in, in, in Ferguson, in Minneapolis, you know, in Louisville, the virus, corona, uh, police brutality, and so on. Brother, brother, brother. There's far too many of you dying. Same thing. We just two nights ago, there was somebody in Atlanta that was shot down by the police. Okay, so those things are continuing. What do we need to do to get through this? Basically, that Black Lives Matter is a direct result to that. 1971, 2020. Yep, yep. And so the second stanza of this particular song. Uh, starts out with father, father. We don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the answer, for only love can conquer hate. You know, we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. And so, 1971, 2020, uh, the U.S. has been involved in I don't know how many wars, and we still have not found whatever answer we're looking for. You know, we um, we get involved in these, uh, um, you know, battles in far distant lands and whatnot. And we spend an exorbitant amount of money uh, for the war machine. And what have we reaped from it? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what we reaped from going into Iraq, going into Afghanistan. Uh, We're still in Afghanistan, um, you know, and with no end in sight, even though the current occupant has talked about pulling troops out. um, There's still going to be a small, probably a small force there to continue to wage whatever this is that we're doing in Afghanistan. For only love can conquer hate. I think uh, the Bible talks about love, loving your brother, loving one another. Uh, We have yet to grasp that basic concept that we are each other's keeper. Uh, And what's going on back then, parallel that to now, we still have so much hate in the world, so much hate in the world. And for what? For why? Why Why does the skin color of some people, why does the ethnicity of some people rub a faction of our society the wrong way? where they feel that they have the right to hate that person just because of the skin they're born in. I I, I don't get it. And so 
again, he asked, we have got to find a way to bring some love in into the equation on all this. I think that is the key, man. If we, we said it before on this broadcast, until we are able to sit down from across the table, across the table, look at one another as human beings, members of the human family, we are never going to figure this out. Because as we just talked about last week, race is a made up construct. There is only one race on the planet, and that is the human race. And until we as human beings are able to sit down and find out what do we have in common that we can maybe establish friendship, relationship, and bring this love that Marvin Gaye talked about back in 1971, mm-hmm. we can bring that to pass in 2020. So that that's my take on stanza two. And I'll let you wrap it up with stanza three. Yeah, well, we'll let's get hit the. I'm gonna hit the chorus first. Okay. Okay, and then I'll do that third stanza. I'll do part of the chorus. Okay. And the chorus goes like this, which is very relevant then, very relevant now. The chorus is picket lines and picket signs. Don't punish me with brutality. Talk to me so you can see what's going on. And then it goes on, what's going on, what's going on. So there is absolutely no reason that we cannot see a comparison. Picket lines and picket signs. You know, folks are out there in the streets right now. I mean, the the, the problem that happened with George Ford, uh, George Floyd on June 1st, you know, um, People are still picketing. It's not going away. You know, don't punish me with brutality. Go back to the 1960s. You know, we knew that the L.A. police were, you know, targeting black folks, brown folks. You know, no one believed that it was true because we weren't in L.A. Okay, don't punish me with brutality. Talk to me. That's the biggest thing, as you mentioned earlier, Wayne. Talk to me. Communication is the biggest thing. This past Monday, a little side note here. You know, I'm the president of the Prairie Township School Board. And so there were some students that were wanting to protest or talk about racism in a few schools, a couple of high schools in our township. And so as we had our school board meeting, you know, at the end of the school board meeting, they have school board members to have comments. And usually the president of the school board is the last person to go and then of the board members and then the superintendent will, you know, have a comments. Well, I took the unusual um, step to say, hey, I'm breaking protocol and I'm going to talk about this issue first, as opposed to waiting to the end. And I discussed the idea about allowing the students to have a voice. You know, don't crush their First Amendment rights. And went on to talk about, you know, we have to literally what Marvin Gaye say, we have to have conversations about this. Talk to me 
so we can see what's going on. Right, and right. so at the at the end of the well during the school board member there was a little bit of apprehensive on a couple of board members you know because you know really we were talking about black lives matter for the most part and so one of the school board members said something well we can't do too much because there's an there's a there's a different side of a, an opinion on something you know and just let him speak, you know, because everybody gets a comment. And so as soon as he said that, I went to myself, I went, man, that's, that's not the right thing to say because either when we were talking about racism, either you're a racist or you're not, there's no debate, right? <laughs> you know, there's no, Oh, well, there's another side to that. No, there's no other side. Either you agree with it or you don't pretty pretty simple but the biggest thing is to have a dialogue to have a conversation in which some americans are afraid of right you know right. they're afraid of 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 talking about it because it feels not it they feel that it's going to make them feel bad and we, we've had that conversation before so right, right. picket lines picket signs don't punish me with brutality very uh critical today critical back then no difference okay yeah, and yeah. this was 50 years ago almost 50 years ago almost brother 50 years ago yep yep yeah, absolutely. yeah and so the third stanza uh goes like this mother mother everybody thinks we're wrong but who are they to judge us simply because our hair is long you know we've got to find a way to bring some understanding here today. And then it goes into the, the course. Right. I would like to take that for today and change one simple thing. And this is how I would rewrite that for today. Mother, mother, everybody thinks we're wrong, but who are they to judge us? And here's the change. Simply because our skin is wrong. Right. As right. opposed to cause our hair is long because our skin is long. Right. Our skin is wrong. And right. so that is very pertinent today. I mean, there's people with long hair today, but back then everybody had long hair. You right. know, right. you you used to have a tree on your head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, other people had hair down to their back. So when yep. you saw somebody from behind, you know, you'd have to walk up in front of them and go, Oh, it's a guy. <laughs> oh, right. it's a girl. Absolutely. But today, I think that's uh, that stanza right there. If we substitute skin is wrong with hair is is long, that would fit in. And then it goes back to the course. Picket lines, picket signs. Right. Don't punish me with brutality. Right. Very and apropos. Very apropos. Yeah. Very apropos. So, and this is all part of Black History. I mean, Black uh, Music Month. And that song right there is almost 50 years old. It's 49 years old, yeah. you know, and uh, it's current. It's pertinent today as it was in 1971. The only thing that's changed is that we have gotten older. We've been around since then, and there's been a lot of young people that's that's come and and moved on since since this song was uh, first hit the charts in 1971. 
Absolutely. I uh, be, be, before we segue into the into the next topic, since we're we're talking music, I, I was sitting around yesterday, just and I knew we were going to talk about this. Uh, what's going on? I knew we were going to talk about this. So yesterday, I was I was sitting around, uh, you know, looking through you know some songs that were pertinent to the time. And uh, I actually made, I, I, I don't call it a protest CD, but I, I something that I, you know, that I made, I made a CD throwing the car to ride around and, and to reflect on lyrics that a lot of these songs, again, they're 50 years old, but the message being conveyed is like, man, it's like they wrote it today. Yeah. And so um, you mentioned one of them, Ball of Confusion. Um, man, the messages in Ball of Confusion are right on for right now. What is what is happening right now is portrayed exceptionally well in Ball of Confusion. There's another track um, that I, I I stumbled upon, which it's one of my one of my favorite OJ tracks. It's called "Give the People What They Want." Mm-hmm. Yep. And man, uh, in that song, they lay out and 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 if if you don't realize what's going on right now. A lot of things are converging because of the death of George Floyd, COVID-19. Things are converging. And you've got the police brutality issue going on. You've got issues with poverty. You've got issue with housing. You've got issues with, you know, people feeling like their rights aren't being heard. Their voices aren't being heard. All that is converging now in the same vein. And that's why people right. are in the streets. So as the OJ saying, give the people what they want, they run down a litany of things that the people want. want. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's like the people want. They want better housing. Yep. They want better jobs. They want better schools. They want, I mean, it's like, wow, that's what's happening right now. And that's what people are in the streets about. Yep. So I think it's pertinent, man, to sometimes go back and look and listen. And a lot of those songs that are written in the 60s and 70s, man, they, they speak today. They speak loudly today. So I was glad we were able to get that in and, uh, and talk about that for a bit because uh, a lot of those artists, they were songwriters as well. And so the lyrics that they wrote are, are powerful and right. they still have that power to resonate in 2020, almost 50 something years later. So right. And, you know, that's that's why, Wayne, when we and I have a conversation with young people all the time, that's why the music of the 60s and 70s, particularly the 70s, is so much uh, better as far as I'm concerned than it is today, you know, because, number one, people could sing back then. You know, we're talking about black music. Huh? People today they just talk, right? Right. You know, and yeah. so the music was on top. The lyrics were fantastic. The singing was beautiful. Okay, so that that's why you can take a song that was made in 1971, and it'd be so pertinent today. Yep. I mean, if you think about the 955 million rappers that all sound alike today. Not back in the 90s, it's a different, different group. And then you forget those songs. Yep, <laughs> you, you will. <laughs> you, you forget those songs, but you, you, don't for, you don't forget what's going on. 
You know, you don't forget those songs that were um, pertinent for then, and they're going to be, they're going to live the, the gamut of, of eternity, probably. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned something when you, when you started talking about uh, Marvin Gaye, and we'll, we'll get to our next story here in a minute. I promise you, folks, we'll get to it. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned something about Marvin Gaye, and I want a couple other items before we transition. You mentioned Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, and, and, and Motown produced that album. You mentioned the Funk Brothers. Yes, sir. And I want to throw out to the listening audience, if you ever want to know who the Funk Brothers were, I encourage you to listen to a documentary called Standing in the Shadows of Motown. It is fantastic. It explains the entire history of Motown records, the guys who played on all those hits they came out of Motown back in the 60s and the 70s and it tells about their lives and and what their lives were like but if you want to know people say hey man what's the Motown sound watch this documentary and you will be the Motown sound will be explained to you it will be explained to you and so um just want to throw that in because I think it's it's important we're not hating I don't think we're hating but I, I will put the music of the 60s and the 70s up against any era because of the fact you had some of the most prolific songwriters, whether it's R&B, whether it's pop, rock. You had some of the most prolific songwriters of music history during that time. And a lot I mean, those lyrics, they stand the test of time, man. So a lot of these people could write songs. They could sing. They sang their songs. Uh, and so that's why we, we are able to bring up a song like you know what's going on, and and find that its relevance rev, is uh, is right on for 2020. So, yep. so much 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 appreciated uh, having uh, the opportunity to share that segment tonight. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, we're going to transition. Yay, we're going to transition. We're going to transition into <laughs> something that's historic uh, that that's happened this week. And that is, there is an individual that became the um, chief of staff for the United States Air Force. And that individual is a man by the name of Charles Brown. And he became the first black chief of staff of any major military branch. And Charles Brown is just an absolute gem. If you feel that you would like to get to know this individual, he's put out a couple of uh, YouTube videos and he's, yep. it's about what I'm thinking about. Yep. And man, I tell you what, it is just awesome. Just yep. awesome. And it makes since I have a son that is an Air Force officer, when he's the things that he says, I'm like, man, I know what my son is going through is almost ex- identical to what he's going through. Yep. You know, yep. about, you know, it, it's just there's a there's a longer version and then there's like a almost a five minute version that he just goes through. This is what I'm thinking about. 
You know, I think about this. Just awesome. Just awesome. What are your thoughts since you are an Air Force vet, uh, veteran? Yeah, yeah. Love, love the Air Force. And I, I, when I heard this, I'm like, yes, it's about damn time, man. <laughs> you know, uh, the Air Force is 73 years old, um, you know, came into existence in 1947. And during that time, we've had numerous chiefs of staffs of the Air Force, but never a black four star. And so this is huge, man. This is huge. Uh, General Charles Brown, his uh, code, code sign, his uh, call sign is CQ. <laughs> so, uh, But people will say, well, hey, there was Colin Powell. Yes, there was Colin Powell. But Colin Powell was he was the chief of uh, he was the joint Joint chairman, the joint chiefs of staff, but he never was the chief of staff of the army. And so that is the distinction. This is the first black man to lead a branch of the military. And what's also ironic about this, there is a rank in the Air Force um, called chief master sergeant. Yes, sir. The current chief master sergeant of the Air Force is also black. (laughs) And so his role is to advise the chief of staff of the Air Force about the health, the welfare of enlisted airmen throughout the entire Air Force. So this is huge, man. This is huge that not only is the chief of staff black, but the chief master sergeant of the Air Force is black. And the chief master sergeant of the Air Force, that ranks of the 73 years the Air Force has been in existence, the chief master sergeant of the Air Force rank uh, has been around for about 50 years. And I remember when I came in the Air Force, I, I saw a lot of white chiefs around, but I, it took me a long time before I saw a black chief. Mm-hmm. And so when I came in at the time, the history of the Air Force, we had had one. I came in the Air Force in 1981. And at that time, there had only been one black chief master sergeant in the Air Force, and that was uh, Chief Thomas Barnes. And that was back in the maybe the, the maybe 50s or so, I think, mm-hmm. if, I, if I'd have to research that and make sure. But fast forward, we hadn't had another chief master sergeant in the Air Force until uh, Chief Wright, Khalith Wright is his name. Yep. He is the current chief master sergeant in the Air Force, assumed that role in 2017. And so it's a historic time for the Air Force. I hope the enlisted and the officer corps understand, especially young black enlisted troops, young black officers, men and women understand this is historic. And we we may never see this again. You never know. But for right now, it's historic. And I I am proud of the Air Force for getting getting this milestone and achieving this milestone because it it says a lot about how the culture is changing around the country. And so um, hopefully your son is able to achieve his goals uh, as an Air Force officer. Wish him nothing but the best. And uh, hopefully the words that uh, General Wright has uh, General Brown uh, spoke in those two videos uh, will encourage him in his career and help him to achieve the goals that he wants to achieve. Yep. But, but let me let me let me be the Debbie Downer here. <laughs> I'll say Donnie Downer. You know that somebody's going to say the only reason that he was appointed is because of what's going on with Black Mi- Black Lives Matter, and it's more of a, you know, we're just trying to please the black folks, you know, once again. And and my son, who's an Air Force officer, he said he's he's been picking it up on some of the chats that he's in with his Air Force, uh, 
his uh, OTS classmates and people that he served with and so on, that some of them are starting to question whether uh, General Brown was appointed because of it's the thing to do as opposed to him working his ass off and being that person to be in charge of the Pacific Air Force and to work his way up through his merits, not right. just because of the time of, right. you know, maybe we can calm the black folks down by doing this. And of course, of course, the current occupant will say that, you know, look what I've done for you folks, because right. I right. appointed, right. you know, General Brown, right. you know, uh, and, and so on. So there's going to be those haters out there that, you know, there's, they want somebody to dislike. And so right, right. some people will feel that his appointment wasn't because of the hard work he did and busting his ass, but because it's politically correct. Yeah, and, it, and it's unfortunate. Um, and, and we find that, that that occurs in every sphere that we find ourselves in. Yeah. If, if you end up being the CEO or you're the director of a whatever, it's like, oh, you only got that position because, you know, it was affirmative action or some other bullshit. And, you know, people don't take into context, man. It's people work their ass off. White, black. If you if you have a mindset that you want to achieve a goal, you're going to work your ass off to get there. And General Brown did that. Chief Wright did that. These men work their asses off to achieve that pinnacle of their career. You don't just you just don't make four stars in the Air Force by by being, yeah. you know, somebody hanging around a water cooler all the time. You've you've put in the work. And I and General Brown has put in the work. Chief Wright has put in the work. You you just don't get there because of happenstance. Let and me so, tell you to to be a chief master sergeant, you gotta be a bad mofo. Right, right. And you it, have to know every damn thing. You have to be right. with the troops. You're almost right. an officer, right. but you worked your ass off to get right. there, man. That is right. no easy task. I know, like in the Coast Guard, it's the same thing. You know, to be a master chief in the uh, Coast right. Guard, it's a it's right. a tough ass it's a tough right. ass position, man. Right, right. Well, once you get to a certain rank in the military, you you gotta earn it. You know, you know, there are certain milestones that you know, hey, you keep your nose clean, whatever. You know, you'll get promoted. But when you're trying to get those higher echelons of rank in the officer corps and the, and the enlisted corps, you got to work your ass off and you got to put the time in. And so if, if chatter is out there like that, hopefully we can use our platform to to hammer home the point that both these gentlemen, hey, they put in the work and they're deserving of the achievements that they have received. And so hopefully this chatter will wind down. Uh, General Brown's going to get in there and do some great things for the Air Force, along with Chief Wright for the Enlisted Corps. And uh, you just you just got to wish them the best, man. But it's it's a historic day for the Air Force and for the military uh, as a whole. So, uh, you know, we I love the Air Force. So I I give them a virtual salute right here on the air, you know. (laughs) That their that their career is everything uh, that they uh, you know wanted to be, and and they uh, you know do some great things for the military. Yep, today actually happens to be Flag Day as well, my friend. Yes, it is Flag Day. Yes, it <laughs> is. So you said a virtual salute. So the flag is flying high. That's right. That yes, is right. Sir. Yes, sir. That is right. And uh, coming up to the next topic, we want to transition to racing. 
I, you know, I am a big lover of all things that go fast, especially with four wheels. And uh, this past week, there was a, a historic announcement made by the uh, NASCAR. And they decided that they are going to ban the Confederate flag being flown at NASCAR events. So Bill France, who's the president of NASCAR, has has thought about doing that for many years. However, didn't know when to do it and didn't know what the backlash was going to be. And so at this point, he's basically saying, hey, I'm going to put up with it. I'm going to the time is right now to say that we're going to ban the Confederate flags. Now, enforcing that ban, he's got some work to do. But they did ban it. And there's one black NASCAR driver who on. They ran their first, um, they ran a race last week, and um, Bubba Wallace is the lone black NASCAR driver, and he spoke out against the use of the Confederate flags. Now, I think that's pretty, pretty ballsy, because being the only, the only fly in the sugar bowl you know, it's some people would be intimidated that, you know, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. So he said, hey, it's time for it to go. It is a it is a flag of hate and we need to change that. And his car was um, painted. The scheme on the car was Black Lives Matter. That yep. was that was a theme on his car for that race. And so there are a, a couple of one in particular, one NASCAR driver said that, hey, I'm not putting up with this. The flag is more important than me driving. So he's saying I'm not running anymore NASCAR. So, you know, what I say is, OK, fine. There'll be somebody else that's sitting that sit his ass in that seat and go 200 miles an hour like he did. Yep, so yep. what are your thoughts on that, man? Well, 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 here's my thing. You and I grew up in the South. We, we grew up right there in E-Town, Hardin County. We knew what that flag represented. And I think one of the earlier broadcasts, we told a story. And I, I think I think it might have been you, me, and one of our friends, uh, a guy named Randy. And I thought it was you. We were walking down Mile Street. And a car came by us, Confederate flag <laughs> on the car, and they rolled by and they called us niggers. So we're incensed. Boom, boom, boom. Everybody's like, what? You know? So we keep walking. Well, lo and behold, the car <laughs> that just rolled by and called us out of our name was parked at Good and Handy. Right there, the old Good and Handy supermarket. Oh, yeah. Used to be here on Mile Street, right? So the guys come out of the store and <laughs> we recognize them. And I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but Oh yeah, I remember. Randy confronts the guy, he's like, Hey, who do you think you are? You know, calling preference, you know, calling us niggers and whatnot, you know? And he's like, Oh, my bad, man. 
I didn't know that was you. <laughs> like that somehow made a difference. Made, made a difference, yeah. That somehow made a difference. But it was done under the guise. You got a Confederate flag on your car, which you felt empowered you to call us out of our names. We're walking down the street minding our own business. So my thing is this. Yes, we're in a we're in a different state of affairs now. But that flag has always stood as a symbol of hate. So if if you know that, that that flag incenses and brings out certain feelings from people, why do you got to wait till now to take it down? You've known this before. You've known this before. Yep. So, yeah, your, your decision might be cool now, but you've known this before. Why didn't you have the moral courage to take that flag down before now? Just like the Confederate flag that flew over South Carolina. You know, Nikki Haley felt, you know, I'm going to take the flag down. But you've known that before. You just didn't fall off the Turner truck yesterday. People know what that flag is represented. And so, you know, yeah, it's cool. Okay, you guys take it down, took it down. But a lot of things are happening now. And I think some of it's overkill. I don't want to be booed off the air by what I'm about to say. But I think some of this is overkill, man. You know, we're going to, okay, take down the Confederate flag from NASCAR. Now we're talking about taking down Confederate statues, monuments all over the place. (laughs) And as I told my wife, you can tear down every damn statue across this country that speaks to the time of the Confederacy, whatever. But does tearing down these statues, is it changing people's hearts? I say that's the key, man. Yep. If this, if you, if people aren't going to change their hearts, you can tear down every damn statue across this country. It's not going to fix what is wrong with this country, and that is we have a heart problem. We have a communication problem, as you just eloquently wax poetic by going over Marvin Gaye's lyrics. We have a communication problem. Tearing down, taking down the flag, taking down all these statues, whatnot, it doesn't change the condition of someone's heart. And that's where I am on the issue, man. I'm I'm glad these people got the moral courage to do so. But you should have had that courage a long time ago. Many years ago. Many years ago. But until we change people's hearts and get them to see that people that look like you and me or people that look like. Uh, my, my my Asian brother or my Native American brother and people who don't look like the majority until people in the majority change their heart and want to have a sincere dialogue with people that don't look like them. That is what's going to move us to the point to where this country can heal. So go for it. Tear down the monuments. Do whatever the hell you want. But that's where I stand on it. I we, we we got to find a way, as Marvin says, to bring some love here today. We got to find a way. Got to yeah. find a way. Yeah. You know, and, so. and going back to the, uh, the the Confederate flag, and it was put up to scare the hell out of black folks. Right. Absolutely. You know, and, and starting in the twenties, you know, you know when the Reconstruction ended. You know, 1877, the Compromise of 1877, I think it was, then when the Union troops left the South, then what can we do to scare the hell out of these black folks to make them stay, that they can stay and become sharecroppers, or we can deny them their individual rights, the right to vote. You know, keep in mind, there's 
three constitutional amendments that were uh, passed during that time period uh, before the end of Reconstruction. Uh, 13th Amendment, citizens um, was uh, freed to slaves. The 14th Amendment was uh, citizenship. And the 15th Amendment was the right to vote. Yep. So uh, the Southerners felt that, what? oh, Lord, we're going to lose everything. And they came up with, what can we do to scare the shit out of these folks to make them stay on the farms? Okay? And if they decide that they think that they're going to vote, we're going to burn their damn house down. We're going to burn their churches down. If they think that they're going to be equal to me, we're going to burn their crap up. We're going to lynch them. We're going to kill them. We're going to do all these things. So, excuse me, a lot of those statues and stuff sprang up after that. Yep. To put in place to intimidate, you know, black folks or minorities throughout the South. And the thing that gets me living in Indiana is to see the Confederate flag being flown in Indiana. Shit. The North won the war. Right. The South, the South lost the war. Right. You know, so I, I, I don't get that, but you know, that's. I mean, and people say, well, it's our heritage. Your heritage is, is a bunch of crap because for the most part, you're lost. You know, as right. the as the current occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue says that he only deals with winners. Right, right. Well, guess what? The South lost. The people that support him the most is mostly from the South. Yep. So yep. <laughs> Alex yep. sent me a, he sent me a, a, a picture, and it has a Confederate flag on it, and it has a white flag on it. And the, <laughs> and the caption reads this. It says, at least the fans of the Confederacy can still see their flag being flown at NASCAR in a NASCAR race. Too bad it's just going to be the last lap. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, you know, the white flag always represents the last lap of right, right. any any race. So, therefore, that wow. kind of kind of goes along with that. So, wow. wow. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go yeah, ahead, it, it's like you say. You know, it, it, a lot of this stuff, man. It's overkill, and we do this every time, man. We do this. Let's tear down the monuments. Let's do this, do that. Thinking we're that it's gone gonna, with the wind off the, Yeah, we're taking gone with the wind off of HBO. I mean, what, yeah. that doesn't change the climate in this country, man. Yeah. It does nothing to address yeah. the cancer that has been eating this country for years and years and years, and so. Again, I've said this comment before. America has to get real. This is your time to get real. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll quote our dear departed brother Malcolm. Malcolm X said back in the 60s or 60s, he, he made the comment and he was he was he was banned from speaking, from making this comment by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad when he said that the violence that this country has perpetrated throughout the years the chickens have now come home to roost. And he was referring to the violence that killed President Kennedy. Right. But those words are true. The chickens are coming home to roost. And we need to deal with the chickens. Okay? You tear down every statue you want to across this country. 
But until we sit down across the table from someone who doesn't look like you and find out, hey, what does this person, what makes this person tick? What do they want? You're going to find out that we probably all want the same thing. And we, how we go about it may be a little different, but we all want the same thing, man. We want security. We want safety. We want a good job. We want our kids to be good, well-educated. Uh, we want to be able to live, quote, that American dream that was perpetrated upon us uh, <laughs> when, you know, that, that's been the thing. You want to live the American dream. Well, the American dream has been denied to so many people that the playing field hasn't been level for so many people. Now you're seeing people saying, you know what? I have had enough. And it's the George Floyd. It's the fact that people are still living in poverty. People can't get a good job. Schools suck for some people using outdated textbooks and all this other crap. People have had enough. And so go ahead. Do, Do your thing. Tear down whatever. But it's communication, man. Communication. And uh, and waking up and finding a way to get that love, man. Get that yeah. love. And yeah. I think uh, my man Justin Timberlake. Where is the love? That was <laughs> he and the Black Eyed Peas saying that song. Where is the love? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they're they're using this term systemic racism. Yes. In which a lot of people don't understand what the frick that means. Systemic racism. Just put it in simple English. The yep. system has been rigged against black and brown and yellow folks. It's the system. When yep. we came out of slavery, when we came out of slavery, the system says, what can I do to keep you on the farm? Yep. I tell you what, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to let you live in a shack back in the back and you get all the crops for me and you don't have to pay anything. The system. The system says that, well, in order for you to be equal with me, you have to learn how to read. You never had to read before. Oh, open up this book. Let's say, let's open up Othello and let you read Othello. Well, you were never taught. So the system that kept you impoverished, that kept you from being educated, is not going to let you read. So therefore, you're not going to have the same right. The system says that, when member A is white and member B is black and they both get caught stealing, the system says we're going to punish the black man and send him to jail for 15 years and we're going to send the white man to jail for 15 months. Right. The system, systemic racism, the system is rigged against us and people don't see that, don't realize that. So that's why we have to have that conversation about race, right? You right, know, some right. people are in denial. Yep, they don't want to talk about it. You know, nope. they don't they want to Not talk it. about it because because they are afraid that it's going to bring something up that they feel that is not true, but it is true. You know, we don't want, why do we have to talk about this all the time? You keep bringing it up. Well, hell, if you would talk about it, we'd stop bringing the shit up. Right. Right. Now, nah, it's 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 one of those conversations, man. It keeps getting dodged. And uh, we, we're, we're, we're right now, man, we're on the precipice of uh, the country is going to explode. 
a country is 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 a powder keg and it's going to explode. And as as our brother, uh, late brother Gil Scott Heron said, the revolution, the revolution, the revolution ain't uh, is real. It's not going to be televised. It's going to be real. Yeah. And that's that's where we find ourselves, man. Is people have had enough. And I, my wife and I were talking the other day. You know, we're talking about you know the election and and how people are making it so difficult for people to vote. Yeah. You know, and it's primarily in areas where it's minority and poor people that are living. Why don't you want people to vote? These people, that's their right. They're citizens of this country. Why are you making it so difficult for people to exercise their constitutional right? That is a part of racism. Okay. So my wife and I were talking and our view was, you know what? This country needs a Sodom and Gomorrah moment. <laughs> and by that, I mean, let's let's do what 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 uh, what the Lord said with with uh, with I think it was Lot and his wife, that the Lord is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, look, don't don't do that. If I can find you 50 people, will you not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And the Lord said, yeah, if you can find me 50 people, I equate that. You know what? We got what? 400 and something congressmen in between the House of Representatives and we got 400. Is it 436 or something like that? It's 530. OK, 500 some people. Can you find me 50 people out of that 500 plus people who are willing to do the work for the people of this country? If you do that, I'll I'll, I'll spare things. Can we find 50 righteous people in our government that are willing to do the work that has to be done to keep this country from going over the edge? I say probably the 50 or if you can't find 50, let's go to 40. If you can't find four, let's go to 30. Give me five, you know, <laughs> that, that, that are willing to do the work of the people. Right now, we, we're in the state we're in. In so many different areas, because we lack leadership, we have no leadership. The Bible is clear, man, where there is no vision, the people perish. And that is where we're finding ourselves. We have no leadership. We have no leaders with any vision. And so what's going on in this country right now, if we can't find righteous people in our government that are willing to do the work of the people, you know what? We need to get rid of them. And how do we do that? We got to bring our ass to vote. Vote. Got to vote. And we got to exercise that right. And we also got to monitor these people who want to make it so difficult for people to do that because they know their ass is on the line. And so let's make it difficult. Let's make people stand out in the rain for five or six hours or let's close polling places where there used to be a plethora of polling places. Let's do whatever we can to discourage people. But we got to stay the course because that's part of this bringing this love to the country, we got to vote out these people, man, that don't have the interest of the people first and foremost in their mind. If you don't want to do that, your ass needs to go. I think, Wayne, though, what you just mentioned right there about people standing in line, that's a good example of the system right there. Because I feel that they did that on purpose. Yep. And the reason that they did that on purpose is to put in the minds of those people that have been disenfranchised, that are uh, poor, and people that have to work two or three jobs to keep them from coming to the polls in November. Yeah. So what we're doing is that we're doing a, 
are set right now to make it difficult to put in their minds that I am not going to stand in line for six hours in November. But if you make it hard for them now, you plant the seed that's going to grow and it's going to make it easier for them to say, man, I'm not going to go down there and stand in that line for six hours. They've done that. I feel they did that on purpose down in, in, in Georgia. Yep. I really do believe they did that on purpose yep. to plant it, plant that seed to keep them from voting in November. It's a, it's the same thing they did in Wisconsin here a few months ago. Yes, you know, I'm in the midst of a pandemic, and you got people standing in a line trying to vote. I mean, we 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 got to stay the course. Yep, we have to stay the course, and it, it that's what we we need: righteous people, man, that are willing to do the work on behalf of the American people, black, white, poor, Asian, whatever. We got to find people that are willing to do the work because what's going on right now is not working. The the, the George Floyd thing, him being killed, that's one one piece of this this puzzle. The COVID-19 has exposed a lot of other ills that have plagued this country. And people are just like, you know what? I'm tired of this crap. So let's take (laughs) to the streets. Let our voices be heard. We're going to be watching you. We're going to march. We're going to protest until we get the results that we want. And part of that is, and I hope the momentum carries into November, that a lot of the young people that are out there letting their voices be heard, exercising their First Amendment rights, they will go to the polls in November and we can start cleaning house of all these people who are basically worthless, who aren't doing anything for this country except lining their pockets and those are their friends. And so um, I, I, we, we can get there. We just yep. got to we got to stay the course. We have gotta to have a long extension, uh, a long uh, attention span. Yes, it's got to be long. I mean, yes. it's just now June. Right. You know, we got to keep keep that engine going in July and then in August and then in September. You know, we can't take our foot off the gas at all. We cannot coast this car. Okay, we cannot coast. You have to stay. You have to stay on track, on task and focused. And when November comes around, November 3rd, I think it is. I don't give a damn how cold it is, how hot it is or what the hell is going on. Drag yourself to the polls. If you can't drag yourself, jump on somebody's car. Hitchhike if you have to. You know, carpool. Uh, We can do this and we can get the stupidity out of office. Yes. If these people that are afraid to to mention anything about the current occupant at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, they're afraid of a tweet. If you're afraid of a tweet, you need to go. Right, 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 right. You, 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 you need to move on because you don't have. You're not a leader. You're not a leader, man. That's the key: is leadership. Leadership. We, we are a rudderless ship right now, and uh, and and people, people are hurting because of that, and and that's why again, people are in the streets. The uh, certain things have have pulled back the curtain. And expose this country for what it truly is. And that is we have not lived up to our creed. And now people are calling America on it. And (laughs) what's the country going to do? You know, are you going to put up or shut up? Are you going to continue to follow this clown uh, that we've got in in the in the White House? And and we're all going to be up shit creek 
uh, if we don't make a change. So, uh, again, we cannot implore you enough. Please exercise your constitutional right to vote. Stay the course. Stay the course. Sounds good. With that, my friend, this has been a good conversation. Yes, yes. Uh, I think we could probably move forward, uh, keep continue with this, but we're yeah. at the top of the hour. And well, I'm sure as we move this pro- podcast forward, we'll probably revisit some of these things again as, as we go. So for our listening audience, you know, we're, we're open. We say it every week. You want to contact us, please do so. We're willing to um, give you part of our forum, you know, give you the opportunity to get on here and speak. Just let us know and uh, we'll we'll make it happen. Absolutely. Uh, Before we sign off, uh, we do want to mention one other thing. Okay. And that was something historic uh, that occurred in in our hometown, our backyard. Yes. uh, Louisville on I think it was on Friday. Uh, the mayor signed into law, uh, Brianna's law, which uh, basically outlawed no-knock warrants. And I think that was huge. I mean, um, you know, that is what, uh, you know, got Brianna Taylor killed, people executing a no-knock warrant in the middle of the night, uh, not announcing themselves. And, uh, you know, that ended ended tragically. So we want to applaud. I think it was the mayor of Louisville signed that into law on Friday uh, to bar uh, no-knock warrants. And that's, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Hopefully that momentum will continue. And we need to ban that across the country, man. And and people may say, well, why do you want to ban no-knock warrants? Because now people who uh, are law-abiding citizens have weapons in their homes, and those weapons are authorized. They are they are they're legally, um, you know, they've got the paperwork, everything. They are authorized to defend their homes. So you bust up in somebody's home on a no-knock warrant, not announcing yourselves. You're playing with fire. You are playing with fire because a majority of the time people are probably armed. And so uh, it, it, it's that's what happened in this case. Uh, Mr. Walker was was a legally authorized gun owner. He felt someone was breaking in his home at one or two o'clock in the morning and he defended his property and his um, you know fiance ended up getting killed. But uh, hopefully this will spread across the country and these no knock warrants. Uh, will be um, banned and no longer part of our society. Amen to that. Amen, Amen. to that. So. All right, my friend. All right. It has been lively. It has been real. And uh, as always, check us out on any platform where you get your podcast, whether that's iTunes, SoundCloud, Google. We're there. Check us out. Give us your comments. We also have a Facebook page. Leave us a comment. That uh, is always appreciated to hear back uh, from whomever may be listening out there in cyberspace. That said, this concludes this episode of the Across the Tracks podcast. I'm Wayne. And I'm Steve. Sayonara. Chiliamo dopo.